my sort of favorite bit of evidence that to me was sort of the aha moment, like, oh, this makes me think that this connection is real, is if you look, um, if you look at human development in babies. Right, welcome to another episode of the Bioinformatics Lab podcast. I'm Kevin Libwood. Today, joined by Dr. Kevin Bonham from Wellesley College out there in Massachusetts. And today, we're going to be speaking a little bit about uh, one of your more recent publications with respect to gut microbiome and its association with cognitive development and even neuroanatomy. Um, so, a topic that I am very new too. I think you just posted this recently on one of our technical forums. It caught my interest for sure. Um, and going through it, I think it's going to be an interesting conversation that I think a lot of people are going to be relatively uh, surprised to learn about what can be predicted uh, by the gut microbiome itself. But before we hop right into that conversation, Kevin, I'm wondering if you can give a little bit of perspective of how you even describe yourself as a scientist. you got a pretty varied background, I would say. I do. Yeah, it's weird. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, I would say the way that I sort of think of my scientific interests, I've always been interested in, in sort of complexity and, and hard problems. Um, if you want to go all the way back, my undergraduate degree is from the University of California, San Diego, uh, biochemistry and cell biology. I also minored in the study of religion. That tells you something strange about me. Fascinating. Um, and I, uh, in college, I can actually remember there was one semester where I was like trying to decide between immunology and neuroscience. And I basically had one elective that I could take and immunology was Tuesday, Thursday at a really nice time of the day. And neuroscience was Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 8 a.m. And I thought I would rather have Thursday and Friday or Monday and Friday off of four day weekends every week. And so I picked immunology, loved that class. Um, the, my, I TA'd for that professor. I got a job after college for a couple of years in an immunology lab in San Diego there. And I sort of went down that road. My PhD is in immunology at Harvard. Um, and, and so that's sort of how I went down that, that route. But I've always sort of been interested in neuroscience and didn't really study it much um, until recently, actually. So uh, after my PhD, which was like cell biology, um, biochemistry, sort of hardcore experimental bench science. Um, my first postdoctoral uh, experience was actually a, a teaching position. It was called a curriculum fellowship. And I was teaching a master's program in immunology. And on the side, I wanted to sort of keep a foot in the lab. And I was kind of interested in this gut microbiome thing. I'd heard a little bit about it. There was some exciting uh, immunology work that had been coming out uh, around the time that I defended, which was 2014. Um, and there was this woman at, uh, at Harvard that was studying the, the microbial communities of cheese rinds named Rachel Dutton, um, sort of like really off the wall experimental system. But the idea is that the, the outer surface of cheese, of traditionally aged cheese, is a really complex microbial community. And she sort of established this in vitro system to make little cheeses in 96 well plates where you could do these different complex microbial communities, do all kinds of neat stuff. I was sort of interested in computational biology. So I was like, hey, I've got this other main job. You don't have to pay me. You've got these data sets. Can I just come and like 
try to learn bioinformatics and use your data sets and like see what happens. And uh, she was game. Uh, and so I was in her lab for three years and um, taught myself Python, wrote a software program to look for horizontal gene transfer, which is you know microbes sharing genetic elements between them, um, found those in cheese, uh, did that whole project. And after that, I was sort of more interested in, in gut microbiome and microbial communities. And I thought I should probably get some actual computational training. Um, so I, I joined the lab of Curtis Huttenhauer, who's sort of a giant in metagenomics, uh, human gut metagenomics. He's written a bunch of software that um, scientists use to look at um, gut metagenomes. And so I joined his lab. I was there for a couple of years and through him got connected to uh, this woman at Wellesley College named Vanya Klepatserai. And that's the lab I'm in right now. So she's a professor at Wellesley College. She had this big grant um, to, as part of a large consortium um, to look at uh, neurodevelopment and the links between the gut microbiome and neurodevelopment. So that's a, a human cohort that's based in Rhode Island. And so I joined her lab five years ago um, and I've just sort of been working on that ever since. And since then got really into this connection between the gut microbiome and, uh, and the brain basically. So that's a oh, fun history. That. It's very, lots of twists and turns, but. Uh, I, I appreciate you giving that perspective because you know, I think a lot of folks also who listen to this podcast are relatively early career. And I think from mm -hmm. the beginning steps, you know, you see people who are on the academic track and it feels somewhat rigid, but often there's a lot of scientists that have just as circuitous of a route to get to their positions as you have. You know, they're just drawn by their interests, by the circumstance of class schedule that might dictate, you know, a certain phase yeah. in the career in the way that uh, it did with you. So, um, yeah, that, that's fascinating. And from that, you got uh, some experience in microbiome, bioinformatics, and now mm -hmm. the neurological component to it. And that's actually something I'm curious because you've had microbiome research under your belt before the neurological and even human components. At least I was looking at some of your publication history there. Yeah, absolutely. You were doing I microbiome the, on like, yeah. Yeah, the neuroscience is, is very recent. I'm still, I'm still learning a lot. Uh, and this is one of the great things about this kind of work is that almost no one's working in a vacuum. All of these projects yeah. are part of these like multi-center collaborative efforts. We have, you know, the, the people who are seeing the patients that are collecting the measurements, collecting stool samples, um, doing cognitive assessments, doing neuroimaging, all of these different things. And then we have neuroscientists that are actually like analyzing the brain scans or the EEG. We have people that are, you know, experts in diet that are doing these studies to see, um, how nutrition is playing a role. Um, we have us that we're sort of focused on the gut microbiome portion. So we do the DNA extraction, send it off for sequencing, do the bioinformatics on the microbiome end, but there's all of these different components. And it's pretty cool because you get to learn from lots of different people um, about all kinds of crazy stuff that I, I never would have expected. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's evidenced by the paper we're going to be highlighting today, you know, requiring an understanding of microbial communities, profiling, bioinformatics, machine learning, neuroimaging, cognitive development scores, and all the like. Um, yeah. So yeah, it, one more thing I think worth providing a background before we jump right into the paper. You know, you talked about having the microbial profiling background and now uh, being able to kind of flex or, or grow your interest in the neurological development com conversation. Can we talk a little bit about this gut-brain axis? Because I think this is yeah. kind of a funny world where there's both an intuition and unintuitive component to it where, you know, obviously the whole body's connected and maybe you can imagine how 
you know, neurological inputs would impact, you know, your microbial community in your gut. Like if you see something that would make you sick, as an example, I think we've all had that experience. Okay, there's something about neural inputs impacting my gut. Over the past maybe five, 10 years, we've been seeing the other side of that conversation where gut activity being really well attributed to cognitive impairments. Is that maybe a, a good way to phrase it of like things like maybe depression mm-hmm. um, and uh, dementia or, or is it uh, other, other cognitive? Yeah, Alzheimer's um, um, and related yes, dementias, uh, depression, anxiety. Um, a lot of work in the in the development space uh, in terms of autism, neuroatypical yes. development. Um, there's been a bunch of good work on that, and I think, you know, a lot of it. It's funny. The I have found that sort of the microbiology, immunology people are much more skeptical of this link than the neuroscience people. The neuroscience people seem to be all over this. Um, but to me, I think you know, at first you think like the gut and the brain they're really far away. They shouldn't be that linked. Like, I can't think of molecular mechanisms that this could happen. But if you think, if you sort of step back and you think about evolution, and you think about what is what are the most important biological functions? There are a few, but one of them is getting nutrition, right? Like finding food, finding energy. And particularly for our big complex brains, we need lots of energy to fuel our brains. And so the idea of like, finding food, finding nutrition. Um, also the fact that the the gut is one of the largest sites of immune interaction with the outside world, right? There's huge community of microorganisms, tons of exposure to pathogens, all of that's happening in the gut and the brain and the immune system are also communicating. So there's tons of sort of, if you step back and you think a priori, like, oh yeah, there probably should be some kind of communication happening. And it turns out there's this giant nerve cluster that goes from the gut to the brain called the vagus nerve um, that is providing tons of signal about the state of your gastrointestinal tract to the brain. The brain is signaling to the gut through hormones, through other nervous signals. I mentioned the immune system. There's all kinds of stuff going on. And my sort of favorite bit of evidence that to me was sort of the aha moment, like, oh, this makes me think that this connection is real, is if you look, um, if you look at human development in babies. One, I'm sure most people are familiar with the fact that like human brains are just bigger than other other primates, right? We have very large brains, um, very complex brains. They have more convolutions, they're uh, more complex. But something that not everybody knows is that actually when babies are born, their brains are much less developed at birth than most primates. Partly this is the result of having enormous heads and also the fact that we stand upright that narrows the pelvis. And so just getting babies out of the birth canal, they need to be less developed. Um, and so you might think then, well, there's there's probably something different in breast milk because we have underdeveloped brains. They need to get really big. For babies, the only source of nutrition is breast milk. And so brains need to be fueled by sugar, tons of sugar in breast milk. And actually human breast milk has lots more sugar than uh, other primates. One of the things that's really fascinating is that one of the major components of breast milk are these uh, sugars called uh, human milk oligosaccharides. And it's a little bit of a misnomer because other primates have these HMOs as well, but humans have way more of them. They're more complex and more branched. So there's uh, the amount of energy contained in these HMOs is much higher in human breast milk. The caveat is, is that 
human babies cannot digest HMOs. This huge component of human breast milk is food for microbes in the gut. So you can imagine we have, we have these brains that are underdeveloped at birth. They need to get really big. They need tons of fuel. And yet we've evolved to spend an enormous amount of energy feeding the gut microbiome in the earliest stages of life. And to me, that's, that's uh, sort of really strong evolutionary evidence that there's something going on in microbiome development that's important. And I think it's important for the brain and sort of we show some evidence for that. But that's sort of, to me, that sort of um, really drives that relationship home. No, I think that is absolutely perfect, right? And that's where I kind of zoom in and zoom out where I can't, right, exactly what you said in both in terms of the a priority look at biology and then even the connection that you highlighted with uh, infants and their need and their symbiotic relationship to some of these microbes in their neurological development. That's where it feels like, okay, there's a, an intuitive narrative I can draw in terms of an understanding of the science and, and factors at play. What again feels almost counterintuitive is the severity of the impact even later in life and even the, the means by which, you know, again, we can hop into the paper at this point of the predictors in those mm -hmm. early gut microbe um, profiles, microbiome profiles and future cognitive capabilities. Um, so, okay, now I think you laid the groundwork beautifully there in terms of there is this gut brain axis. And I love that that term. That's something I'm, I'm relatively new to where there is this connection that you already talked about a couple of those mechanisms of action, especially through the, the vagus nerve um, where there's proper communication. There's uh, and, and you can even track, I think over the, the, the last couple of years, you're seeing how the beta diversity conversation of like different microbial profiles are correlated properly to different cognitive capabilities yeah, in steps, your exact study. So if you can give some premise of what is, what is the specific question you had in mind whenever you're going into this study here? Yeah. So the, the question here is really just, is there a relationship between the gut microbiome and brain development? Right. So we have, I mentioned this sort of evolutionary evidence that there might be something important. There's also a lot of experimental evidence from animal studies that show that there are these potential mechanistic links, vagus nerve, immune system, also microbial metabolism of neurotransmitters that can produce and degrade neurotransmitters in the gut. Those neurotransmitters can enter circulation. So there's a bunch of potential mechanisms. And there have already been a bunch of studies showing associations between the gut microbiome in humans and disease states. We mentioned like dementia, depression, autism, but so the question going into this is, is there an association in normal, healthy tip, neurotypical development in kids? Can we see it at the earliest stages of life when both the gut microbiome and the brain are undergoing all of these dynamic changes? They're both changing really rapidly. They're developing a ton. And so can we begin to identify associations between these two complex systems? So that's where we started. Just is there a relationship? Can we find connections between these things? And that's worth worth pointing out, because one question I do have, if you can give some perspective, like this is more or less a survey. Hey, let's at least take a snapshot. Can we draw these correlations in yeah, that absolutely. previous work and things like disease states um, when we're talking about like Alzheimer's and the rest? Have there. How I, this is something I've always had. In my, how mutable are these major organisms in terms of response to diet and then downstream impact on some of these cognitive states? 
Yeah, it's a great question. So um, they're incredibly mutable. Um, there's, well, there's sort of a, there's a stability and there's a mutability, right? So mm. there have been studies where, for example, if you, if you take a lot of probiotics, I mean, these massive doses of a microorganism like a lactobacillus or something. And of course, you can measure it in the stool uh, afterwards. But if you look, then you stop taking the probiotic and you look like, you know, a couple weeks or a couple months later, those probiotic bugs, they're not sticking around, really. They're sort of just passing through. The microbial community in the gut is pretty stable. It's an ecosystem. You can imagine you've got all of these complex relationships. You've got cross-feeding behaviors going on where one microbe produces a, a molecule that another microbe consumes. They're pretty resilient, actually. Unless you do something like you have a major bout of inflammation if you've got inflammatory bowel disease, or you take a large dose of antibiotics because you're treating some uh, other infection and it happens to kill a bunch of bugs in the gut. And at that stage, you sort of done this, this clearing out of the ecosystem and then if you take some probiotics, then they can kind of stick away. And so what we see, if, we, if, you, if you follow people over time, you just look at their gut microbiomes just sort of day to day, you can see some oscillations. You can see sometimes some species come in, some species go out, but there's some amount of stability. And then if you get a major perturbation, sometimes it gets perturbed and then it comes back to its previous state. And sometimes you get a completely new state. The biggest influences really are things like antibiotics and diet. So if you go from a meat-heavy diet to a vegetarian diet, you're probably going to be making pretty dramatic shifts in your microbiome. Um, there was a really cool study that came out just a couple of years ago where they looked at uh, the gut microbiomes of immigrants to the U.S. They were coming from sort of lower socioeconomic um, countries to the United States. And, what, and they measured their microbiome at the beginning and then a few years after they lived in the United States. And they see this dramatic shift towards a more westernized microbiome, which is lower in a bunch of uh, organisms that are considered healthy. When you, when you eat McDonald's more frequently, basically you have worse microbiome. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, so, and, and, go on, sorry, finish that. Oh, no, that's, that's it. Just, yeah, there's, so diet is a huge factor. Um, but the other thing to note is that there is a huge variety of healthy microbiome, uh, as far as we can tell. There are a few organisms that tend to show up more or less frequently, but there's a lot of different kinds of microbiomes. There's a lot of different states that people without any gastrointestinal problems have. There's just a huge variety of, of kinds of microbial ecosystems. It's fascinating. And I just wanted to talk about that point where you talk about the immigrants and their change in diet. You know, for the folks who travel quite a bit, especially to maybe regions in South America from the U.S. or something like that, you, they talk about this of like, hey, I don't know if you should eat that. You don't have the same gut I do. Like, I've got a strong yeah. gut. I, I've lived here. I've, I've developed a microbiome that is used to these types of uh, foods or whatever it is. And then I mm -hmm. go down there and then, you know, I don't necessarily have that same gut microbiome. So, yeah, all right, that's fantastic. And, and especially that conversation of mutability and, and immutability brings so much relevance to this kind of a study because not only one do you have maybe a potential screening of you know cognitive outcomes here but potential interventions so with that as a premise yeah let's, let's hop into this of, of sure. a paper so yeah again that the question of you, you defined it well of is there something we can see in is there something that we see in uh, the different communities in terms of their microbial profiles 
versus their cognitive capabilities. Yeah, perfect. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Here, I'm going to zoom in a little bit too. Um, how's that look? That looks great. Yes. All right. Fantastic.